Would you pray with me? Father, we confess our need for you and we pray that we would believe fully what we just sang. That we would find in you our, our only source of rest and hope and peace. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us, which is new and available and ceaseless today. Would you speak to us through your word, build and encourage your church, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. It is a gift for us to gather together, to give praise to God our Father, to exalt our Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We are renewing our study in the gospel of Luke, working our way through Luke's testimony of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus and looking uh, intently at Jesus' mission to seek out and save the lost. So if you open your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. That's where we'll start today. And as you're turning there, I'd like to ask a question. How hopeful are you about 2021? How different is today compared to yesterday or last week or last year? Like, really? In some ways, I hope things are different. I hope things are better. Right? Medical labs have made progress on vaccines and therapeutics for the coronavirus, so that's, that's hopeful, right? Winter has been fairly mild so far, so that's been nice. Maybe Christmas season, as, as odd as it may have been for you, is still encouraging to you, enjoying time with family, getting time away, the giving and receiving of gifts. These can all be encouraging and, and restful and refreshing things for us. Maybe we can take the slightest bit of joy that election season is over, we think, right? No matter your political persuasion, at least we're not getting our inboxes and phones and mailboxes filled with campaign materials. And that's a good thing. Although the events of the past week force us to again ask ourselves, in what do we put our hope? What human authority or human institution do we have that can't falter or fail in a moment? Right? Today it's nice. The, the weather's nice. The sun is out. But tomorrow it might be 30 below, which wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for the wind, right? At least we tell ourselves. And so the weather will shift, and just like the weather shifts, the, the news cycle will shift, and our politicians will re- revert back to just defending their status quo. And as you and I prepare to step into our Monday, if we're honest, even the most optimistic among us, don't we expect at least a little that the things we're hopeful for will wane? Even amongst all the the headlines and the the franticness of our culture, as one crisis dissipates and another rises, even that can become a bit of a monotony and drone for us. So no matter the, the shots of hope or excitement that do rise in our lives, it's easy to lose heart. Reality sets in, right? Day in and day out. Through the long, cold winter, the slowness of the change that we want to see in ourselves and in the world around us just weighs us down and we sigh. And if we're not careful, we drift into cynicism. But as we turn our attention back to Luke's gospel, I think we'll see something pretty remarkable. Jesus' focus on his mission 
Jesus' purpose on earth doesn't change with circumstances. His focus doesn't fade when seasons change. There's no lull in his purpose. And there's no like crash that comes after a season of joy. Jesus is focused on his mission of proclaiming and bringing about his kingdom. And what I hope we'll see as we re-engage with Luke's gospel and as we look at just these few verses here today is that Jesus' purpose and persistence in advancing his kingdom displays and shows us the power of his grace at work and reminds us of the privilege it is to be called one of his disciples. So don't lose heart. Jesus is persistent in advancing his kingdom. He shows the power of grace at work and reminds us of the privilege of being called his disciples. Let's read our short text for today. We're going to read Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 3. It's okay. It was meant to be a dad joke. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is God's word for us today. And the focus of Luke's gospel and the the title of our multi-year study in Luke centers on the mission of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. And these three verses, I I hope, will re-engage our focus on that mission. So these are our three points today to build out this text and, and hopefully draw something from it that applies to our lives. The persistence of Jesus, the power of his grace, and the privilege of being Jesus' disciple. The persistence of Jesus, the power of his grace, and the privilege of being Jesus' disciples. First, Jesus' persistence. Chapter 8, verse 1 begins, soon afterward. Soon after what? Well, it's been a while, but chapter 7, starting in verse 36, closes with a remarkable picture of God's grace and forgiveness that comes as the kingdom of God invades. Luke chapter 7 gives us a picture of what happens when the kingdom of God invades our lives. Everyone around Jesus is left dumbfounded at what just happened. We read about the story of a woman in chapter 7. Known, her sin is public, known to be a sinner who came and fell at Jesus' feet. She's pleading for mercy from Jesus. And, and Jesus, breaking all kinds of social norms, not only welcomes her and welcomes her signs of contrition and repentance, but extends to her forgiveness for all of her sin. This is a powerful picture of the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves the otherwise unlovable, and that Jesus forgives the otherwise unforgivable, not because they deserve it, but he draws them to repentance and faith and extends to them grace and mercy. Soon afterward, soon after this, chapter 8, verse 1, 
excuse me, he, Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is showing his persistence in doing good. He's not phased either by the sinners who bring all their junk to him, and he's not phased by all those who scoff at him because he would dare to show mercy to broken people in need. He is sure in his mission and purpose to both proclaim and to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. He isn't just proclaiming the message of repentance, although he is proclaiming that. He is saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. But, but Luke also says, and he's bringing this good news. Not just proclaiming it, but bringing it along. And what is this good news of the kingdom? But the power of God to break strongholds, to bring healing to the broken, freedom for those who are in bondage, forgiveness for sinners who recognize we are sinners and in need, desperate need of someone to intervene. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus quoted this text when he began his public ministry. Prophets like Isaiah proclaimed it and Jesus now was fulfilling it. He was bringing it to bear. The kingdom that was promised is now invading and Jesus was unapologetic about it. And in case we are tempted to think that this is a story that happened then... Jesus, the God-man, established His kingdom on earth and is right now, through the Holy Spirit and through His church, advancing the forward movement and expansion of the kingdom of God today, now. And He has promised that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. This has been a great encouragement to me this last week. These five words, soon afterward He went on. Jesus doesn't stop, no matter the circumstances. And when it seems like everything was just going from from bad to worse, when when we ask ourselves, what is happening? I don't know if anyone else has asked that question this week. What is happening? What is going on? When it doesn't seem like anything good or godly is happening, Jesus is still purposefully and persistently at work bringing the kingdom of God to bear against the kingdom of darkness in our lives. So let's continue. The passage continues. And with the twelve that were with him, Jesus says, these were his closest disciples, verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So Jesus is persistent in proclaiming, bringing about the message of the kingdom. The second thing we see is the power of God's grace on display. We, We see it here first. Luke 7, remember, shows the power of grace in forgiveness the story of the woman who's forgiven by Jesus. We also see it here in the twelve. All were told, and the twelve were with him. But each one of them is an example of God's grace. Remember, these twelve disciples were just ordinary, unskilled, unremarkable, in some cases despised men. And yet God's grace in their lives, in spite of their foolishness, which we read about in in the Gospels, in spite of their pride, which we read about, their folly, their sin, God uses these flawed 
disciples to carry the message of Jesus that will literally change history. They would spill their own blood, dying as martyrs, many of them, so that the name of Jesus would be made known to others all around the world. That's the twelve. Third, there are some women who were among Jesus' followers. And here's what Luke tells us about them. He's, he tells us about Mary Magdalene. She was freed from spiritual oppression and bondage to seven evil spirits. He references Joanna, whose husband is named Chusa, and he was an official in the house of Herod. A woman named Susanna. And Luke says, and many others. And even this is a powerful testimony of the reality of the kingdom of God for a couple of reasons. One, there's a cultural shift happening here. Now, now it wouldn't have been unheard of for uh, a whole mix of people to be gathered around popular teachers or religious leaders. Women uh, would have uh, often served in those groups in various ways. But it's not just that they were there. It's that who they are and, and why they're there. Not just that women were around Jesus, but what's remarkable we read about in Luke 10 is that Jesus were welcome to come and sit at his feet and he taught them. This was amazing. I mean, many rabbis in the first century wouldn't teach a woman like they would a man, and Jesus did. Jesus pushes against the, the first century cultural norms in, able to, uh, in order to what I see as a reestablishment of a kingdom norm, honoring, valuing the intrinsic worth of women who also, along with their brothers, bear the Imago Dei, the mark of God that was made clear way back at the beginning in Genesis, where God said, let us make man in our own image, mankind in our own image, male and female he created them. So that stands out to me in these verses of the grace of God in the advancement of the kingdom. Secondly, it's not just the women, but they are known and named. The, the who, if you will. Now, we don't know a lot about them. Not a lot is said about them, but we do know a little. I'd like to look at a few of them briefly. Mary Magdalene is a name you might be familiar with. Magdalene is a, is a place name, meaning uh, of Magdala, which means of the tower. So it probably references where she's from, a distinguishing characteristic of either her hometown or where she was brought up. We see Mary in other parts of the ministry of Jesus as well. The Gospel of John places Mary Magdalene, along with Mary, Jesus' mother, as witnesses to Jesus' crucifixion. She is also a, uh, one of the witnesses, along with Joanna, who we'll talk about here in a second, According to Luke 24, one of the first to be told when they went to the tomb early that Sunday morning that Jesus was not there, that he had risen from the dead. Now, some writers have inferred that perhaps Mary Magdalene was the woman from Luke 7 who was forgiven much, but we really don't have any evidence of that. Some have also suggested maybe Mary was the woman caught in adultery who was saved from being stoned. But we also don't really have any evidence of that either. For someone who is apparently prominent to be named among Jesus' disciples and his followers, it makes sense that her name would be shared if that was indeed her. In fact, what we do know about her is actually there's no evidence that there was anything immoral in terms of prostitution or adultery with Mary at all. 
Most of the time in the New Testament, when, when we read about demonic oppression or demonic possession, these, these ideas, these things that are happening here, often what's being referenced is and experienced by the person who's being oppressed by evil spiritual forces is a life of abject misery, often resulting in self-harm, likely mental and or physical disorder and pain. And Luke tells us what we do know is that Jesus freed her from this demonic oppression and from her infirmities. Joanna, Luke lists. As I said before, Joanna is one of the women who goes early to the tomb on Sunday to help prepare Jesus' body for proper burial. And she is honored by being one of the first to hear the message that Jesus was alive. Her husband is an official in the household or service of Herod. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great and was ruler over Galilee as kind of a a sub-king or a governor, if you will, underneath Roman rule. And apparently, Joanna's husband served um, in Herod's household in some kind of official capacity. And what's fascinating is that Joanna, even though her husband works for Herod, who's clearly anti-Jesus, as his father was, she is named among the followers of Jesus. Not like, and that lady to keep her identity a secret. No, she's named. They know who she is. Now, some scholars uh, suppose that maybe her husband is the official whose son is healed by Jesus, as recorded in John 4, but we really don't know that either. But what we do know is this, that Jesus had such an impact on the life of Joanna and likely her husband that she would risk so very much to be with Jesus. Now, we don't know anything else really about Susanna. She's not listed anywhere else that we're aware of or or many others listed, but that's okay. The, The fact that they're listed and named is significant because they are significant to Jesus. These women aren't here out of duty. They're not here out of religious obligation or because they're being manipulated to work against their own interests. These women are following Jesus out of love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for them. This is the why, and it's important. The kingdom of God has invaded their lives. They have experienced the freedom and mercy and grace of forgiveness of Jesus to such a degree That the natural response, the only response, was an offering back to Jesus of their very lives. Whatever they had in gratitude. And also to make it possible that Jesus could continue this mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to others. They provided for Jesus and the whole group of people out of their own means to make sure that they could continue the work. Their lives show the effects of the power of grace at work. They had been redeemed by Jesus and offered back to Jesus generously of themselves to support the mission of the kingdom. Do we, who have been saved, who have had forgiveness and grace extended to us, who have been graciously offered healing and wholeness, We who have been honored by God the Son, loved so completely, do we have the posture of gratitude and generosity and sacrifice that these women displayed? I'm learning from their response here in these short verses. Perhaps you are as well. 
Their lives are examples of the power of grace. And I believe our lives are meant to bear witness to the grace of God in much the same way. Finally, the last thing we see in this text is the privilege of being disciples of Jesus. J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican bishop, who lived right at the end of the 19th century, called it the peculiar privilege which our Lord grants to His faithful followers. The word privilege is a current one in our social vocabulary. It speaks to special advantage or benefit. And I use that word in this case because there is a tangible reality, a benefit for those who are disciples of Jesus. And what makes this privilege, if you will, remarkable is it's not attached to what the individual has done. It's not ethnic heritage or social status or socioeconomic status. The benefit to the disciple applies to the disciple because of the one to whom they now belong. See, Jesus doesn't need them, and yet He invites the twelve. He invites uh, the broader coalition of disciples, men and women and others, into His sphere and invites them to join Him in the mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus, living a life of faith that God the Father will provide for His needs, so He needs to eat and sleep, and there is provision for those needs that is shared amongst his followers. And more than that, he welcomes them in so that they might display their love for him. It's an opportunity for worship. As J.C. Ryle says, he says this, true love will count it a pleasure to give anything to the object loved. Excuse me. True love will count it a pleasure to give anything to the object loved. False love will often talk and profess much but do and give nothing at all. This isn't just an example stuck in time for these disciples who physically walked with Jesus. Jesus is still purposefully on mission right now through His church. You are known and loved right now by Jesus. His powerful grace is at work in you. You are being called into His fellowship. Your identity is now marked by His name, and Jesus is pleased to work by these means. Our lives now display the grace of God as we are forgiven, as we are transformed, as our faith is proved, and as we offer ourselves and all these given us back to God to be used in His service, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to join in Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. One more from J.C. Ryle. He says this, He, Jesus, condescends, means lowers Himself, to use the agency of missionaries, and the foolishness of man's preaching in order to spread his gospel. And by doing so, he is continually proving the faith and zeal of the churches. Men like Peter, James, John, Matthew, women like Mary and Joanna, they were seen as different because others could tell they had been with Jesus. So as we dive back into Luke's gospel here on Sundays, Will we, as we familiarize ourselves again with Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost, I ask myself and I ask us, do we bear the resemblance? Does the world look at our words and our actions and our reactions and our social media posts 
and the priorities displayed by our calendars and our bank accounts? And do they say, clearly, those people have been with Jesus? See, I don't know if this world seems crazy to you. Like everything is coming off the rails or coming apart at the seams. I don't know if you feel like you're drowning in a flood of monotony where necessary change is just too slow in coming. But can I just remind you this morning that Jesus is at work right now. He is persistent in His purpose. He is, he's continuing to proclaim and bring to bear the kingdom of God now. He doesn't get sidetracked by politics. He doesn't get drawn into fruitless arguments. Jesus isn't scared off by our sins and our scars because he has come specifically to deal with all of that, to deal with our sin, to carry our brokenness, to to work out our dysfunction, and his grace is greater than all that. As we've sung multiple times, his mercy is stronger than darkness and new every morning. He's purchased us by his own blood. He washes us clean. He secures for us a new identity whereby we share together as a church, which is being built up by Jesus himself. That he himself serves as the head, the chief shepherd. And he has promised, as we said already, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So can I encourage us today to not lose heart, to not falter in the midst of chaos. Jesus is persistent in the good work of the kingdom to seek and save the lost. He is right now at work displaying the power of his grace and he invites us to share in the privilege of being one of his disciples, sharing both in the glory of Jesus and in his mission. This is the good news of the kingdom of God, which the world around us desperately needs. Lord Jesus, accomplish your will, show your glory and your grace, and build your church as you advance your kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess you are holy and righteous and always good. Would you calm our restless hearts? Would you give us faith when we can't see where you're at work, trusting in your goodness and your power? We ask humbly that you would also be merciful to give us eyes to see where your grace is at work, that we might praise you in that way. Convict us of sin, Holy Spirit. Root out the the dark places we want to keep hidden, the, the, the sins and the pride and the arrogance and the, the fear, the things we keep covered, knowing that we so desperately need and desire to be free. Let us taste of your mercy. Do you empower us and equip us for service in the kingdom, we pray. Amen.